Hi, this is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today on the podcast, we got an interview with David Zapone, who is the producer and co-director of the new Voyager documentary that we've all been very excited about. So before we get to that, let's talk about the news, which actually starts with an update on that very documentary. So we'll get more to this when we bring on Dave, but this week, uh, Trek Movie was the exclusive first reveal of the title of the documentary, which is To the Journey, and then there's kind of a subtitle, which is Looking Back at Star Trek Voyager. So the full title is To the Journey, Looking Back at Star Trek Voyager. I like it. It's kind of tied into the series finale, like the DS9 one. I was just going to say, I can see why they didn't want to name it Endgame. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Marvel took that one. Um, (laughs) They passed their stretch goal for HD, so they will be doing, or they're hoping to do everything in HD. We'll talk to Dave about that. And uh, so now they're on their way to the super secret goal, and let's try to see if Dave will expose what the super secret stretch goal is. There's another bit of news going back to something we talked about last week, which is Colmini is out doing promotion for his latest movie. And everyone asks him about Star Trek. And I kind yeah, of, every, everybody's I feel, persistent, which I like last week. We talked about how he kind of, you know, was saying, you know, I did seven years in Star Trek and, and I'd like to leave it at that. Uh, but it, this week, and someone asked him again, uh, maybe he's been thinking about it more and he laid out, he said he now sounds more interested. Um, and he's saying if specifically for Picard um, and saying that if there's a good and valid reason, and he also went on to say, he'd be happy to do it. He really likes Patrick and it would be lovely to work with him again. So, yeah. I think so. This is just a guess, but I think that as these actors do their interviews, the first time they're asked, they're sort of peripherally aware. Oh, yeah, there are some new Star Trek shows. And then the second time they're asked, they've thought about it more or they've been more exposed to it or they've looked. Oh, yeah, that is a new show. And so then the third or fourth time they're asked, they've actually thought about it a lot more than the first time and realized, oh, yeah, that actually would be a lot of fun. So it sounds like he might be going through that progression, presuming that these interviews, you know, popped up in the order in which they were done. But still, I feel like Colm wouldn't do it unless they gave him something meaty. He's not going to do a cameo. He's not going to just stand in the transporter room like that comic. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at how they brought in Riker and Troy, and we talked about this when we did our Picard episode, there was a good and valid reason, which is the criteria laid out by Colm, for Riker and Troy to be there in Depenthe. I still feel like the thing at the end with Riker was gratuitous, but fun. Yep, I would um, agree. Uh, and, like, Colm probably wouldn't do something like that, you know, where he just showed up in a scene, you know. No, but um, he'd, I think he'd do, if he and Rosalind Chow could get together and do a fun <laughs> home scene, I bet he'd do that. Maybe, yeah. Um. So we've got a little bit of Star Trek Discovery Season 4 news, which it's been a little while since we talked about the show still in production. And this all comes through kind of a weird thing. So last weekend, we put up an article called Great Links, which we like to do just kind of fun things you find around the web, um, a little bit like our bits that we do in the podcast, right? And one of the things we put up is part of the Paramount Plus promotions is... RuPaul's Drag Race, a lot of 
the drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race dressed up as various characters in the Paramount Plus portfolio. One of whom is Jackie Cox, who is a genuine Star Trek fan. Um, She's gone to Star Trek Las Vegas, cosplayed, and um, she chose to go to do be part of this promotion as number one from the cage and from strange new worlds. Although she was wearing the new version, the Rebecca version, but of... she knows her history. That's for sure. Right. She has this great quote about Nigel Barrett, Roddenberry and also acknowledging Rebecca. So she knows her star Trek anyway. So we put up this article. Then shortly after the article went up, Jackie showed up, you know, and, you know, contacted us and said, Oh, you know, I love the site. Um, thanks for putting that up and you should check out my podcast. So she has this nerdy podcast. So the name of her podcast is it do take nerd. Um, and it is a very nerdy (laughs) podcast. Um, and last week her guest was Anthony Rapp. So she said, check that out. And, uh, we did. And, it, a lot of it is talking about season three and a lot you know, talking about working with Blue DeBario um, and Ian Alexander. And that was all good stuff. But there was a little bit about season four where Anthony Rapp talked about something new he's doing during season four. And what he said was, there's an actor this season, meaning season four, that I've all that I haven't really got to interact with one-on-one. That's been one of the pleasures of season four so far, getting to expand my repertoire of who I get to play in the sandbox with. So I guess there's a season four storyline, or at least in the first half of season four, because that's kind of what they've done so far. And where Stamets and someone who's not been doing a lot of one-on-one. So Lori, who do you think this is? What character do you think could this be? So initially I, my first thought was Saru just cause they don't have a lot of scenes together, but then the one that makes a lot more sense story wise is my man book who I love um, yeah. because they both can run that spore drive. Right. And that sort of answers a question, right? Because when we did our wrap-up episode of Discovery, we were like, okay, well, what do you do with Stamets now? Because Stamets has the issue where um, he is upset with Michael and Book can run the ship, right? Yeah. We know Book's coming back. So maybe Stamets goes off and leaves because he was going to leave in season two, right? So, or season three, no, season two. Um, and, but now it, sounds like he's back on the ship and he and book are i mean we're we're speculating here but book is the only one that really makes it well the other interesting thing is that stamets part of his identity has been this his uniqueness and his importance to the ship because of his uniqueness which is what led to his conflict with burnham at the end but so that i think is going to be a problem for him when there's someone else who can run it but anyway i i think it has i think it's book i do right but we do think that Gray is going to be visible at some point in season four. I think they've kind of telegraphed that one pretty obviously. Right? So <laughs> you think? <laughs> so Gray somehow through the magic of woo woo whatever, um, come you know gets to be a real boy. That's right? what they're calling it, by the way. Woo woo whatever. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, I mean, maybe book is part of that process. You know, who knows how this works? Um, but uh, but I don't think he's. I don't think it's Stamets and Gray together stuff. I you know I think you're right. It's got to be book. So we're still in award season. We've we've transitioned from the nominating part of award season to the awards part of award season. So the winning um, and the losing part. <laughs> right. Um, so this week was the uh, NAACP Image Awards. Uh, Star Trek went in with three nominations, came up with t- one win. So uh, lower decks had been nominated for best animated series. Um, and uh, Don Lewis was nominated as well. And in both cases, lower decks lost. Uh, but the win came to Hanalee Culpepper, who directed the Star Trek Picard pilot, um, among other Star Treks that she's done. Um, I think she's incredibly talented. I'm so happy. I thought she did a beautiful job on that. And what I loved about her quote about it was that she said, when I got the job, I didn't realize that I was the first black director and first woman director to launch any Star Trek movie or series. Why? It never crossed my mind. I was too busy thinking about the work. And I just, I think it's, she did a great job. I mean, she wasn't hired because she was black or because she was a woman. She was hired because she's amazingly talented and she did a great job and deserves awards. Yeah, I'd say she's definitely one of the better directors in their stable of directors. I certainly hope she's back for more. She will be. Hopefully she's back for season two of Picard and or season four of Discovery and or season one of Strange, Strange New, Worlds. New Worlds. Yeah, she's very talented. I'm a fan. They need a lot of directors now. Actually. They now, do. It's great. It's <laughs> such a wonderful time. <laughs> it's amazing that like as we speak in March 2021, there are three live action Star Trek shows currently in production in two animated series and X amount of shows in development. And a movie script that's out there that's being worked. Right, right. It's just it's fantastic. Uh, what a great time! We're moving back into peak Star Trek. It almost feels like the eighties and nineties again, except for the thing that we don't have from the eighties and nineties is uh, the, mer- the the level of merchandise we had in those days. Though there is a little bit of merch news for this week, which is uh the Star Trek Lower Deck season 1 Blu-ray is coming out in May and the trailer was finally released this week for the Blu-ray and and DVD and steelbook and it looks pretty good i think that it just it seems like the the lo- the, the special features will be robust and fun which fits with the show right yes. but ev- everything they showed Star Trek home releases are off. They could be a little dry, but everything they showed seemed fun. Yeah, they can be a little heavy handed sometimes, (laughs) excited (laughs) about their own importance. Um, But this, yeah, this looks fun and whimsical like the show itself. There's a link to that on the site where you could watch that and, of course, pre-order. The last thing is this week is kind of a big week for the original series and William Shatner and... Uh, Leonard Nimoy, the late Leonard Nimoy. Well, it's birthday week for both of them. A significant birthday week. Very significant because my birthday is between the two of theirs. But anyway. (laughs) Which was all planned, I assume, by your parents, right? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So 
uh, for Shatner's 90th birthday, uh, we did some coverage of that. We did a, uh, the, the shuttle pod team with Lori as special guest did a whole shuttle pod all about Shatner, which is yeah. great, right? We love Shatner. It was so much fun. We talked about his whole career, although we missed his music career. There was like, there are whole things we didn't even get into because he's had such an insanely packed life and continues to add new things. But it was a lot of fun. I will put up a link to it. Um, have a listen. It. I did listen. It was very good, although I'm still upset that you didn't cover Kingdom of the Spiders. I know. And you know what? My family, we have the original poster. <laughs> Another thing we did for Shatner's birthday is I reached out to Maurice LaMarche, who you may know as the voice of the brain on Pinky and the Brain and a lot of characters in Futurama. He's a huge um animation voice actor he's actually done a couple voices in star trek lower decks he uh voiced melvar in the futurama star trek episode he's a huge william shatner fan and fans of trekmovie.com will remember back in 2009 we reported on and 2010 we reported on talk like william shatner day which (laughs) maurice lamarche started um and he posted these videos where he taught people how to speak like William Shatner. It's been a kind of hobby of his for years. He considers himself one of the better Shatnerists. And I would say he is. He does a fantastic Shatner. Um, He's done it for the Animaniacs and some other animated shows where he's played a Shatner-esque character. Um, And one of his fellow Shatnerists is Kevin Pollack, who (laughs) is a fantastic actor. And if you know his stand-up from the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of Shatner in them, right? So he's a huge Shatner guy. And now he's on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I love. Right. So he's a good actor, too. Yeah. Um, and so they did a special video for the for Bill's 90th birthday, which is also the 12th annual Talk Like William Shatner Day. Why did they do that video, Tony? Because I asked them. Yes, because you asked them to. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and it was great. So, uh, there's some great, I mean, they, they kind of talk about how much they love Shatner, but then of course they do a lot of Shatner, um, in the video. I think, I mean, I would say Pollux, Pollux is funnier. Well, Um, also he tells a great story about William Shatner. (laughs) Right. Cause he, he, Bill, for some reason brought him to be part of his Broadway show one (laughs) night. So right. Uh, To appear in the encore as Bill. So Bill's kind of in on the joke, even though he's kind of talked about how, especially the Kevin Pollack does this very animated version of Bill and Bill says, that's not how I talk, you know? So, um, (laughs) but he's still in on it. And I think he, he likes it. It's Maurice LaMarche. How could you not? You know, another thing. So, so this is a big week for Bill. He's, his new movie's coming out. Um, by the time you listen to this podcast, I think it's released on Friday, uh, which is Senior Moment. He's working on a new podcast. A new season of his History Channel show, The Unexplained, comes out this in April, I think. Um, he's he's just unstoppable at 90. And... And we've also got news like he's he, he's doing this new these new collectibles, uh, which he's signing, and they're he's launching this new company that is using blockchain to authenticate real world world things, including his own collectibles he's selling. 
Um, yeah, I don't even so, really understand all of that. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get into it. It's 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 <laughs> it's related to these things called NFTs, which are very hot right now. A lot of people may not have heard of what an NFT is, but Google it, and you will be blown away by how cutting edge this stuff is and bill has launched a new company that does nft blockchain authentication it's like bill you're 90 i i am in awe of you i you know yeah. why are you, why are you doing this why don't you settle down why don't you relax he is not gonna stop he will no, never stop nor should he now switching to the late lettered nimoy um, there was a, a great thing happened which is the city of boston which is where Leonard was born, raised, he went to college there, he returned there a number of times, has uh, made his birthday, 26, which is Friday, the day this podcast comes out. It's been declared as Leonard Nimoy Day. Which is lovely. In the city of Boston. Um, We're now going to bring on David Spone, who for the last decade or so has been dedicating his life and his company, 455 Films, to making documentaries about Star Trek primarily. Um, he did all those documentaries with William Shatner, which were on Epic. So there was the captains and then there was the captain's close up, And then uh, the one called chaos on the bridge, which is all about, so that had Shatner directing as well, but that was about the next generation. Um, then he did for the love of Spock and that was directed by Adam Nimoy. And then they did the DS9 doc, what what you left behind, what we left behind, and now they're doing Voyager, which is to the journey. Uh, so they're sort of going in order, I guess, right? Yeah. So let's bring on David Zapone. With us now is Dave Zapone, who's the producer and co-director of the now named To the Journey. Star Trek Voyager documentary. Welcome, Dave. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for coming. Thanks. It's a pleasure. And it's to the journey, looking back at Star Trek Voyager. We're trying to create a brand, you know, play off the <laughs> what we left behind, looking back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're excited about, about the title. And um, I am just blown away by the love for Voyager. I was told... By several people. Anthony, you might know Ben Robinson. Um, yep. Yep. And, you know, he told me, you know, people were saying, ah, you've done, you, I don't know if you need to do Voyager. You've done enough. And he said, uh, Dave, trust me, if you crowdfund this, you will be amazed. And boy, was he, he, he was right. He was right. I think people underestimate the popularity of Voyager a lot. I mean, just looking at our website, um, and you know, traffic in on various stories. When we do a story about Voyager, Kate Mulgrew, the the amount of traffic is very large, larger than stuff uh, from a lot of other stuff. And so, you know, we see that there's just a lot of Voyager fans. I think more now. I think this the world of streaming. I mean, DS9 had the similar thing. But is yeah. that is that is that something you're finding? Is that there's a kind of a new wave of fans? Oh God, yeah. Um, just people like um, uh, Amy Imhoff. I don't know if you know her. Um, yeah, we do. Yeah, Amy's great. She works with Kate. And I, what is Amy? Maybe thirty. 
um, if that. And um, she's a tremendous fan. And most of the fans I've spoken to are in their 20s and 30s. So they were really influenced by Kate and this whole, uh, Amy calls it the Scully effect, which is the, the proliferation of women now in the sciences and medicine because of Dana Scully of X-Files. And there's a similar Janeway effect where it's really her portrayal of Janeway as a leader and a scientist has influenced young women to go into those type of fields. So, yeah, I think there's just this tremendous influence that Kate has had on the culture. Would you say that is the story? I mean, I I went off on a bit of a rant a few podcasts ago about how a good <laughs> a good documentary has a story and has to be interesting to people who are not necessarily interested. I I you know talked about how I enjoyed the New York Times Britney Spears documentary, even though I obviously am not a huge Britney Spears fan. What do you mean um, obviously, Tony? Well, <laughs> but you you know what I mean that and you know I liked the DS Nine doc. I feel like it was of most interest to DS nine fans. And is this something that you're you know, looking at with the Voyage documentary of both, you know, what is the story? Is it about the influence it's had on women perhaps? And is it, are you looking to make this mostly for those backers who know all the inside jokes or more for a general audience? Um, you know, that's always a dance. Um, Deep Space Nine was different in that it, it was Ira. Let's be honest. I mean, you've got the showrunner, Ira Stephen Bear, who invested seven years of his life initially. And our joke is that he almost invested another seven doing the documentary because we started it. In, in, <laughs> it's really not that much of an exaggeration. I mean, we started it in 2013 and released in 2019. And for two solid years, Ira was at Paramount every day. We were, we had a writer's room. We, we recreated uh, that whole deep space nine thing. So yeah, inevitably that was going to be very specific to deep space nine and, and we're proud of it. Uh, but Voyager. Yeah. I think we have opportunities to cat cat uh, cast a wider net it's had a significant cultural influence, but then again, so did Deep Space Nine. But I think the other thing about Voyager is you get back to that, it's episodic. So it's played well in syndicate, in, in uh, even current syndication on the BBC, for instance. Uh, BBC America runs it. Um, a lot of uh, networks have run it. And yeah, I think, and this is something I can't prove. I don't know, Anthony, if this is true. You might. But I've heard that the majority of the most watched Star Trek episodes on Netflix are Voyager episodes. At least that's what I've I've heard. I've heard that too. I've yeah. heard the same we, stat. We yeah. reported so, yeah. that once a, a few years ago. It was based on a I, – now I can't remember some analysis that uh, Voyager, Voyager episodes were the most popular Star Trek episodes on Netflix streaming. And the other thing is you know, we're planning to try to talk to some very well-known – Star Trek fans like Stacey Abrams or uh, Cory Booker, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I'm just naming politics. Oh, and NASA as well. Uh, we're already in talks with NASA 
to discuss because Voyagers had a and Kate specifically a tremendous influence on a lot of the NASA uh, scientists. So yeah, I think the nature of this is going to be a bit wider. Anthony, to answer your question. So just like looking at the Deep Space Nine doc, the main sort of story of that was that it was kind of like the the stepchild show, the underdog show. And so is there a, a thread or a story to this one that you already have in mind? Yeah, absolutely. I can't get too deep into because we're the other thing is, too, we're kind of hamstrung in a, in a way in that we're very early in the process, as you both know. I mean, we had the the good fortune uh, to and thank you, ECP and CBS. That's the Entertainment Cruise Partners, the the great folks that run um, the Star Trek cruise. We were able to film on that cruise, and that's where we got the bulk of our existing material. So uh, we got the only in-person Voyager reunion in 2020 because the world shut down the week after we got back. And, uh, and then we've done some subsequent interviews since. Uh, we've interviewed Brandon Braga in person at length. We've interviewed uh, Robbie McNeil in person. Garrett, uh, who holds the record for the longest interview I have ever conducted for a documentary. <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I'll tell you this. It was six hours. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, and Tim Russ gets the record for the latest interview I've ever conducted. Uh, Tim, as you might know, is a brilliant musician. He's got his own band and he played on the cruise and they played at 11. I think they were done about midnight and we interviewed him on stage with his guitar till 2 a.m. So that's officially the the latest. uh... So, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, yeah, we have some very specific ideas but it's again, it's really, a, it's, a, it's about the journey. There's several journeys. There's our journey as filmmakers. There's the journey of the cast, uh, the journey of the audience. Uh, and, but really, I think what always fascinates me is the effect it's had on not just the cast, but the writers, the producers, the uh, brilliant people like Michael Westmore and, and um I guess, oh, I, I, you know what? I think I'm going to give you guys an exclusive, if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> we sure. object. No, we don't. <laughs> well, I'm very, very happy to announce. I don't think we've announced this yet. If, I, if we have, then, then I'm sorry. But uh, the brilliant Dennis McCarthy is returning to do our score. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. So I don't know. Hopefully that answered some of your question. And, and, and you past the stretch goal of being able to use the original Jerry Goldsmith theme. I don't know if Dennis McCarthy is going to do a new arrangement of that or uh, that's definitely in discussion. Oh, and I, I'm hoping to bring back Kevin Kiner as well, who uh, worked uh, with Dennis on enterprise and uh, was the uh, co-composer of what we left behind. So kind of want to put the team back together, but yeah, anything's possible with Dennis uh, brilliant musician just an all around great guy. Um, I love him because he's a car guy, a classic car guy. And he's one of the only people in Star Trek that knows why my company is called 455 Films. I don't know if either of you know. You can figure I out. assume it's uh, engine size related to an you old got it. Ford. Yep. <laughs> um, it's my, my, the engine size of my classic estate wagons. <laughs> that's, that's right. right. Um, 
Now you you talked about the writers and the producers. So what kind of involvement is Jerry Taylor and Rick Berman going to have in this documentary? Uh, major involvement. I'm happy to say I've already spoken to Rick. Uh, Rick and I've uh, gotten to know each other quite well I, over the years. And I sort of owe my career to Rick. If you think about it, uh, you know, we've done a lot on, on his era of Star Trek for sure. So Rick is, will be interviewed and we are going up to see Jerry Taylor very soon. Uh, and Jerry's is not, and both Jerry and Rick really, I mean, Rick, I he certainly back in the day gave a lot of interviews. He doesn't so much anymore, but Jerry really has not been heard from. Uh, yeah. We need her voice. And again, Brandon already has, has offered to, to do anything we need, anything we need. He said, just come to him. Uh, so everyone's thrilled. Uh, I, I mean, we, we're going to Lisa Clink, uh, one of the other writers, uh, Ken Biller. There's so many right. people whose stories really haven't been told because Voyager's a little different in that it didn't have a single showrunner uh, or an IRA throughout. You know, it was Jer and Michael Pillar. You know, let's not forget Michael. We're trying to get as much as we can about Michael. Uh, my one of my greatest regrets is that I I never got the chance to meet Michael. Uh, I started in Star Trek just I think just after he passed away. Uh, so you know, it's a shame uh, that I never got to meet him. But yeah, we're going to really go deep into the writing and the produce and also the studio side. Uh, which I find fascinating. We had Carrie McCluggage, in, uh, the head of Paramount Television, in What We Left Behind. And Anthony, you'll remember, uh, John Pike, who figured right. prominently, uh, he ran Paramount TV during TNG's years. So we want to look at just, you know, what th this is the first Star Trek show that was on a network since the original. It was the flagship of UPN. Uh Certainly, it was a you know not the greatest relationship, uh, which what we've heard between the studio and the producers. So we want to delve into that as well. And are you speaking to people like Marvin Rush and and directors and cinematographers? Yeah, and oh yeah, uh, Marvin. Will, we will get to. He's already on our list. David Livingston. Um, yeah, uh, the the usual suspects, as they say. Uh, <laughs> yes, Jonathan Jonathan West was our assisted us on uh, what we left behind. And so, yeah, Marvin would be the, uh, the, the perfect person to talk to for Voyager. Great. You, you started off talking about how important the show is to women. We've talked about Jerry and obviously Kate and the other Jerry, Jerry Ryan. Mm -hmm. um, how are you guys going to make sure that women's voices and a woman's point of view is, you know, is it important for you? And how are you going to make sure that that comes through? Because there's six producers on this show and, you know, and, and not just women, but it's a very diverse cast, right? It's probably, yeah. it was, it was the most diverse cast of its time. And they kind of went backwards when they went to Enterprise and Star Trek didn't get diverse again until, um, uh, the more recent era. That's a good point. You know, yeah, that's a good point. So, so how are you going to get these issues of diversity and we, you know, this how it appealed to girls and women in with a production team that isn't as diverse as the crew of Voyager? 
Well, one one uh, major way that the w- women's voice is represented is by Lolita Facho, who is essentially my co-producer on this. I mean, Lolita has been invaluable to us, uh, getting us access and her knowledge of Voyager. She was there all seven years. So Lolita lends uh, a, a lot of credence to that. Uh, are we bringing on another executive producer who's uh, someone I've been affiliated with named Judy Kim uh, is coming in. So we'll get that voice. Garrett has offered anything. We're trying to figure out a, a greater role for Garrett because I don't know if you've noticed on the uh, all social media push and all of the, you know, our efforts to get the word out. Garrett has been tremendous to us. So helpful. He, ha- he hasn't, you know, that I'm a Delta Flyers podcast addict oh, great. also. Yeah. Um, and I've interviewed those guys and he is great at, at asking great questions. He always managed, he's the king of the follow-up, I think. And he comes up with stuff that might not occur to somebody else. And he has the access because of who he is. And he's got a great sense of humor. Somehow he's um, decided that, uh, Eugene Levy and I are separated at birth. I don't really get it, but you'll be hearing, Oh, look, I love Eugene Levy. He says it's more the voice than the look, but, um, I, I that I don't even get, but, uh, no, Garrett is terrific. What we did with him on the cruise, we filmed him. He did a, an underwater snorkeling excursion and we actually got underwater cameras and were able to film him and, and just his interaction with the people on the beach and with the people with him. And then we filmed him just walking around this entire huge ship and just stopping people and talking. And he's, he's going to be a, a major voice in this. So, yeah, I think, I think we're going to cut and, you know, the diversity will come out through the interviews themselves as well. So, uh, you know, I, it'll be reflected. I mean, we as filmmakers with a documentary, we're, documenting what happened. It's not really our job to, at least I don't believe it is, to uh, mold it or shift it to reflect our personal views. So it should, all of that, Anthony, should come out in the interviews themselves. And and how will you then, sorry, this is getting 60 minutes like, so, but uh, <laughs> the, the, um, that we, I remember, you know, this came up at the DS9 doc. There's all this footage. You're shooting all these interviews, interviews, interviews. Yeah. But uh, as a filmmaker, you don't want this to be just talking heads. So what are you doing to find other footage and ways to show stuff from the 90s and back in the day kind of stuff well, to fill yeah, this all you're, up? You're right. I think you've been talking to Bill Shatner. Uh, because that was always Bill's uh, edict to me. I don't want talking heads. And, <laughs> and if you'll notice, you know, we really always tried to get away from that. And uh, also Avery, Mr. Brooks, who's a very good friend of mine, um, he was the inspiration for the writer's room in Deep Space Nine in the first place because he said it can't be talking heads. You need something else. So – we, thanks to Garrett, again, Garrett has uh, the old mini DV tapes that he filmed behind the scenes of Voyager wow. that have never been seen. So we are getting access to all of that. So there's a little tease right there. I don't think anyone's really seen that kind of footage before uh, behind the scenes. 
in the up res, hopefully we will uncover some interesting bloopers and things. Um, now that's a whole nother discussion, the HD, but uh, we're hoping to uncover some things that have not been seen before. And then, as you know, we have this million dollar stretch goal and I really can't get into exactly what it is because the key is we want it to be a surprise, but we're planning on doing something never seen before. Uh, something with the actors themselves is all I can say, but because of rights and negotiation and everything, we, we it's premature to get into it. But we're, you know, the first thing Brandon Braga said to me when he sat down for his interview this summer is how are you guys going to top the writer's room? <laughs> Like, yeah, tell me about it. So we are uh, actively uh, discussing ways to uh, avoid talking heads. So let so, me just so ask you, when you say nothing we've seen before, do you mean something new being shot or something found from before? I would say, again, I don't want to get too deep into it, uh, <laughs> but something new, something new. Cool. Wow. Yeah. And that's your... So that's your version of the writer's room, even though it's not the writer's room. That's your kind of new, yeah, weird, I mean, look, the writer's crazy room thing. Would, I guess, Anthony, this, the easy thing to do would be just to reassemble the writers and do it again. But I, number one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that because that was Ira's idea. And, right. uh, um, you know, the, the difference on Deep Space Nine also is you did have a very cohesive, uh, consistent writing team. Let's put it that way. Those guys, um, you know, were very, very close and worked together for a long time. Voyager had more uh, turnover and a lot, a lot of more people, a lot more people coming in and out of there. So, yeah, we're not going to. It's not going to be the writers' room. Let's put it that way. Speaking of the writers' room, um, are you going to get to uh, either Brian Fuller or Joe Minoski? Uh I can't. We're trying with Joe, but yes, Brian Fuller has already said yes. That's so great. I can't wait to interview Brian. And speaking of the writer's room, I can give you uh, this information. Um, I have a call Zoom with Ira tonight and the whole Deep Space Nine team. We are working on, we've already announced this, but I just want to stress it again. We're going to release the writer's room in its entirety. Oh, great. The, wow. Yes. I mean, so you can see the entire process and it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it holds me and, and Anthony for sure. And Lori, this is definitely for the Deep Space Nine fan. Uh, you, you, you need to know the world. But uh, I think right now we're at, it's at about f over five hours long. So wow. probably we're going to do some kind of an episodic release. But yeah, we're, we're working on that right now. Oh, that's so so two, cool. qu two questions. A, what ma manner... Let's start with what, how will this be released digitally on disc uh, streaming? What's what, you know, what's I'm thinking I'm again, also, you know, we don't have, we don't even know yet, but the sheer, the difficulty of the discs is that you can only fit so much on a disc. So we'd be looking at probably, you know, if you're doing 4k, um, you know, three discs, it's just, it gets a little unwieldy. So I think it'll be more of a digital or streaming type of thing. Uh, that, that's my thought anyway. If there was a huge demand for physical discs, we could look at that because we certainly have the ability to manufacture them as we did with uh, what we left behind. And would this be through Shout or something different? Uh, you know, that's still up in the air. Possibly. Possibly. Okay. Uh, the good news is we have we own it. It's our, so we, we kind of have the ability to do uh, what's best for it. 
there. I want to go back in time a little bit to, you know, we've talked about this great crowdfunding campaign and the fans are really pouring out, but, um, you know, when you did the Shatner ones, you guys did this in the kind of more traditional thing. You shopped it around, you sold it to Epics, mm-hmm. they gave you the money, you shot the thing, you put it on Epics, and yep. that was that. So, you know, for the last two docs, both the Voyager and the DS9, you did you go do a round of shopping it, or did you go straight to crowdfunding? Well, let's go back even further to Spock. Because remember, Spock was crowdfunded too, for the love of Spock. Right. And what was shocking to me is the answer to that is yes. So we would. And, you know, I've got obviously after the Shatner docs and Star Trek, you know, I've got some connections in the distribution world. And, you know, it seems like people just don't believe in it. Um, and it's become this a necessity for us to prove it to them with the fans. So it's not like we're sitting around saying, let's go you do a money grab with the fans and you know have them fund this. We have no choice because, uh, look, I mean, I studios had the – it was well known that I was doing the Voyager doc. Anthony, as you've known, uh, since the cruise, we – I mean, there was no secret that we were doing this. And clearly, we were not able to get a sale. So here we go on crowdfunding and look what's happening. So again, it's it's like we're we're proving our uh, proving our concept, uh, thanks to the fans. Let's put it that way. But if it weren't for crowdfunding, I don't even know if the if for the love of Spock could have been made. Uh, that shocked I mean, what, me. What's, but what's ironic is it ended up on Netflix anyway. Right. I know, <laughs> I know. And Netflix called me the minute after the crowdfunding ended. Then they were like, "Okay, <laughs> now we because we raised uh, six hundred I mean, believe it or not, my little 455 films has three of the top five crowdfunded docs in history right now. We're about we have a chance of becoming the most successfully crowdfunded doc with this one. We're about 200,000 away from uh, surpassing the Frank Zappa documentary on Kickstarter. So, uh, yeah, I you know, you're 100 percent right. The world changed. I mean, with Shatner, I I did it traditionally. But the other thing we did there, too, was we utilize Canadian tax credits. We had a because Bill's Canadian. So we were able to make those Canadian productions and that money kind of dried up. And then I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a Canadian uh, on these other projects. But, yeah, I. I, I don't. I just. I don't know why there seems to be a reluctance. I think we have a proven track record here. Um, so, but, so yeah. point blank, did you approach either Netflix or CBS for CBS All Access now Paramount Plus and say, "I want to do a Voyager doc. Here's my budget. You know, do you want to buy it?" Um, I can. I'll, I'll tell you, CBS, of course. Uh, they 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 approved me being on the cruise and they've seen the sizzle and i you know i do look at the programming right now which is cbs has now become paramount plus and there don't seem to be very many documentaries there so my guess is that documentaries are not part of their programming mission right now but we're i guess the expression is we're hiding in plain sight Anthony, I mean, they were very well aware. Everything I've done has been through CBS with their approval. 
So. Well, but they they just announced that they just did their first documentary for streaming, which was uh, about video games. Yeah, I saw but, it. It was, uh, actually good. it was actually good. Yeah, yeah, the one on Netflix was better. But so that's a side note. Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> on but, but it was decent. It was decent. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fine. But they when they did their big Paramount Plus presentation a few weeks ago, they announced some more documentaries. Uh, they're and documentaries tied into their programming, so they're doing a lot of. Uh, soccer documentaries because they're big into UEFA. Yep. Um, they're doing some. They're doing a doc tied into Criminal Minds. Is that right, Lori? Yeah, I think they are. It's like a show that's a documentary right. style show. So it makes sense, to, you know, because they're, they're they're trying to create these synergies, um, and so it would make sense to do a Star Trek documentary. My question is, you know, A, do you think it's still possible it could end Wait, up, or is it too it late? It, absolutely, it's still possible. That's the beauty of crowdfunding. So now we get the the money, the funds, to produce this film on our own and bring it to CBS. So we don't, re- we don't need a sale yet. Uh, we will when we talk about the light. I mean, that's the way the system works is we raise enough through crowdfunding to at least get through the production, but then the licensing fees are enormous on these films. So that's where the sale, you need to have a sale to cover all of that. But yes, the answer is it is absolutely still possible. And it's still possible that they could acquire um, all of my previous docs with the exception of Spock. They're all available. So uh, my hope is that they all find their their an eventual home on Paramount Plus because where better for them to be, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, there's one possible downside, which is so. For example, would they want something like Chaos on the Bridge, which is somewhat critical, even though it's just being honest about the first season and the behind the scenes, um, but. Let's get into this question for Voyager. It was not the easiest road. The journey had some bumps. Right. Right? Right. So, and and you got a little bit into this in DS9, although at times I felt like you were pulling punches. For example, um, well, Terry, Terry talked about, Terry Farrow was talking about some of her issues she would name a, an unnamed producer. She was obviously talking about Rick Berman, but she didn't mention his name. Well, she that was her choice, Anthony. You know, I just I've run into this many times. I mean, people, it's clear who they're speaking about, but they just for various reasons won't name. Um, and she, it's not like we cut his name out, by the way, that she just did not mention him, but. Um, I know where you're going. Are we going to cover warts and all on Voyager? And the answer is yes. I, but I would argue even Chaos on the Bridge, we cover the turmoil, but ultimately it's a story of the success and the brilliance of the shift in that show in the third season and how it went on to greatness. So, you know, I, I don't know that, chaos on the bridge is something that they would shy away from. I, I don't know. I don't know. But we will be very candid with Voyager is the answer. Yeah, so that also uh, raises the question of Jennifer Lean, who I assume is not available in general. I wish she were. Um, we we are have not given up. There are some oh, avenues. Uh, because I feel that she should be represented 
because I think as a, as a, you know, I, you have to remember, I was a fan watching these things as they premiered and was a fan all the way through. And I thought she was terrific. So we are going to do our best to find someone, if it's not her, someone maybe who could speak for her. But we are delving into her experience with all of the interviews already. Great. Yeah. I mean, I know there's so much to talk about when Jerry Ryan shows up, but there's also Jennifer was such a huge part of those yeah. first few seasons. And in a rewatch, you see just how prominent she really was. Yeah, we have. That's been a major theme, actually, in the interviews already. Now, you talked about HD. We've talked a little bit about CBS on your crowdfunding. There's a big asterisk of like a yeah. kind of fine print. Why the fine print is there? What would stop you from doing the HD? Well, I can answer that one very easily. So CBS is open, certainly to it. I'm in contact with them. You know, we wouldn't even be doing this documentary without their approval. But the simple fact is that they have a vendor uh, uh, division of CBS, CBS Digital, who uh, was responsible for doing the TNG, uh, the original series, because, you know, the process on HD is is really, it's difficult. All of those original 35 uh, negatives, film negatives, are back in the East Coast in a salt mine somewhere. And they have to be located in boxes, physically shipped out to California. You have to know what specific shooting day you need, what camera roll. It is a lot of work. And then you need these huge uh, film scanning machines, telecine, we used to call it, but the films, just big, big bulky machines to scan these negatives, uh, to HD digital. The problem is CBS digital moved and no longer has the machines. So we've (laughs) got to figure out a new way to do it is the answer. Ah, um, if you do get the chance to do it, do you have specific, you know, scenes that you've really got your eye on? Oh yeah. Yeah. We've got some thoughts already. Uh, I can tell you as a fan, I'd love to see if there's any more of the Jean-Vierre Bougeot. uh, (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think, I think we might've seen most of it already. I don't think there was a lot shot there because they've released that on one of the DVDs. Are you going to interview her by the way? Uh, That's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. We've discussed that. The question is, you know, would she do it? I don't know. I don't think she's ever spoken about it since, as far as I know. I think maybe a little bit, but yeah, it's, you know, it's not a big part of her life. Yeah, it's not a happy memory either. <laughs> well, everybody else is talking about it. Actually, Garrett was, I think, he talked about it extensively because he was one. I think it just, he worked with her and was it Robbie might have been in a scene or maybe not even, maybe not even Robbie. Could have just been Garrett and Tim. I don't remember who was in the, I th- the scene. I think you're right, and I think he, and he also said he went up to her and asked what was wrong and talked to her about it at the time. Yeah, so we are we're covering that as well. I know with Voyager there was more CGI. Does that make it easier or harder for you if you're doing some remastering? Uh, it actually it's, it, it makes it easier. Because we're not trying to replicate the the old FX shots, you know, with um, uh, models, and we have these two guys, David and Christian, in Europe, that helped us w- recreate uh, DS9, are also helping us on this, and we have a lot of the original uh, digital models through guys like Ben Robinson, uh, uh, Dan Curry, all these guys are helping us, 
uh, the Akutas. So uh, it makes it easier, I think, ultimately. But you saw what we did with Sacrifice of Angels in uh, yeah. US-9. If we can do that, I think we can, we can handle Voyager. I mean, we've even got seen, uh, mock-ups of other uh, unused Voyager models that haven't been seen before. So we've got a lot. We're, we plan to go pretty deep there. The runtime you're thinking of now is 90 minutes. And I guess I have the kind of a bigger question of, you know, when you're dealing with, with Ira and the DS9 dock and you were getting so much footage, it kept on getting longer and the process was taking longer. Mm-hmm. So right now you're talking about 90 minutes next fall. You know, as you crowdfund more and more, are you going to try to stick with a tight 90 fall 2022 release? Or is there a, or could you see adding more and taking longer to, bring in more stuff well what really took longer with deep space nine was our decision to do everything in hd when we because you know initially it's very expensive you don't even want to know how how much it costs uh but we were only going to use five minutes of hd footage initially in what we left behind and ira brilliantly made the, the decision you know you can't do this to the fans you have one section this brilliant HD clip. And then next minute you're back to VHS quality. Uh, (laughs) He just said, uh, no, it's either all or nothing. And so that's what delayed Deep Space Nine. So it's possible, Anthony, I mean, especially with the pandemic now, everything's up in the air. Um, You know, we need to get back to a physical, uh, the ability to shoot everybody in person. I'm not going to do Zoom uh, for a documentary of this magnitude. And uh, so that's a factor. But our hope is this is our focus now. Uh, Deep Space Nine, the other thing, you know, Ira, when we started in 2013, he went away and did Outlander. I went away and did uh, For the Love of Spock. Our focus of this team right now is what we is a Voyager. That's it. That's it. So I, I hope to be able to hold to that, but you never know. I'm very glad to hear you're doing in-person um, interviews. Um, how many of the, you know, they had so many great guest stars who are very notable. How many of them have you talked to? Are you talking to? We plan to. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've got like Michael McKean. Uh, yeah. you've, uh, you've got... Um, uh, Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman. Joel Gray. So many. Didn't Ed, Ed Begley... Uh, yep. I believe was in an episode. Yeah, Joe Gray. Um, yeah, so we, you know, it, it, oh, the other person I think uh, I'm going to reach out to who I know personally is Jason Alexander because Great. he's a huge Trek fan and did that episode. He was one of the funniest moments. And for the love of Spock, I don't know if you remember, he does a great impression of uh, Bill. Bill's famous Risk is Our Business uh, <laughs> uh, monologue from memory, <laughs> which is impressive. One of the things I liked about Chaos on the Bridge and some other documentaries do this is people describe old scenes and you don't have any footage. So you create these animations and there were obviously animations of the DS9 doc too for the series eight. So are you looking, could that be a a component of this as well? Yeah, it's very possible because that was, I, I, I have to take credit for that one on Chaos. I just said, we need something. Uh, here to really just and you know it was nothing new I was inspired at the time by uh, things like the Robert Evans doc uh, you know the kid stays in the picture 
and just all these innovative ways to work with photos and 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 drawings. So yes, that's very possible because there are just certain things you yeah when you're talking about something that happened 30 years ago, how do you cover it? So right. animation becomes uh, an option. Let's talk a little bit about how you're planning on distributing this, right? So obviously you could back it now, you get either digital or physical copy, that's fall 2022. What are your thoughts on, and I believe you've announced a New York and an LA premiere for backers only. Yeah, we've done that in the past, yeah. Right, and there might be other cities maybe... Uh, possibly, yeah, if we get that kind of demand. Um, London's always difficult just because of the expense involved. And again, the unpredictability of the pandemic is another issue. Why I was kind of wary of announcing physical gatherings. But look, let's be optimistic. I think a year from now, we're going to be in much a much different place. But the other hope is, and again, it's just premature. You know, we've got to make the film first before we know what the distribution would be. But I, for one, would love to do another Fathom uh, screening. We were in, I think, close to a thousand theaters with what we left behind. And we're one of the most successful uh, films Fathom had that year. So that yeah, would be- Yeah, I was a- in a packed theater for that. Yeah, I was That's actually back in, I couldn't be in LA. I had to be back home in Connecticut. I was in a packed theater too. And it was just incredible the the love for it and how well it played theatrically and i think star trek fans miss having a theatrical i know i do going to a theater and seeing a star trek film i mean it's been what five years now since uh the the last abrams film so yeah that would be my hope is to give them a theatrical experience you know on top of the streaming and wherever it ends up i think i mean i could talk to you about this thing forever i want (laughs) to ask you if you're going to cover the time they had to replace Chicote's butt with a uh, digital replacement, you know, and stuff like that. But, uh, well, you're um, actually that I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) It came up recently. We heard about this somewhat recently. (laughs) Well, talk to, talk, talk talk to Dan Curry. He's got the whole story about Chicote's digital butt. All right. I'm writing writing that down right now. We're already talking to Dan and we're going to be talking to Beltran. I don't know what he'll have to say about it, but okay. Okay. Well, I guess that answers that question. You've just given me, you've given us a new avenue to explore. Okay, good. Okay. I I assume I'll get an associate producer credit for that. Oh, absolutely. Um, The uh, what about the fake Native American consultant? You yeah, get that that guy we, yeah, we are going to address that because that has come up. That has come up. Excellent, great, yeah, excellent. Yep. <laughs> um, you can you actually had... go Sorry. ahead, Lori. I just want to know if you've had anything that surprised you that you've come, you know, along those lines of these sort of, I guess you could call them controversial things. Like, has anything else popped up that was news to you? Uh, I can't reveal it, but yes. Uh, especially in Garrett's inter- and I, the only reason I say that I'm not being evasive is that I really kind of want to save it for the film. You know, you want, you want there to be some revelations for the audience, but Garrett revealed some very, very personal things that I had no idea about and being a tremendous, I mean, really, really inside stuff about him, you know, about him. So, yeah. uh, yes, yes is the answer to that. And we're going to get more of that by the way, as these interviews progress. Because right now we've only interviewed three of the cast members extensively. We have Kate uh, on stage. We have Kate. We did a great thing with her where uh, we uh, convinced the, or the 
we offered. And of course, the captain said, yes, we got Kate on the bridge of uh, this ship uh, that we were on, this thousand foot cruise ship. And that was pretty cool to see her at the helm. And it didn't look that different from a Star Trek uh, bridge, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. So, yes. I, yeah. I assume you. Go ahead. I assume you're going to have all you have contemporary interviews with all main cast members, Correct. except for Jennifer Lean. Yep, everyone has said yes um, so far. Yeah, <laughs> excellent, yeah. excellent. Um, so the, 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 but this gets back to my question of you know I'm like oh did you put this in did you put this in but then then the other side of me goes but you know what in the end you've got to keep this to a, a reasonable length right so ha- you know. Are you, you know, determined to keep it tight and who makes that, is that, is that kind of you to say, you know what, this is just, it's cool, but it's got to go. It got, it's, this is special feature, not a, doesn't belong in. Yeah. You know, I learned a lot from Ira on that, uh, quite frankly, because I'd fall in love with Seek. I mean, what we left behind would have been three hours if we had kept all the sequences in. But the nice thing you just mentioned it, Anthony, there are special features. So what we did with what we left behind is we saved a lot of those pieces that we had loved in the film, but just, you know, you need to be mindful of the, the narrative flow of it and it needs to hold an audience. That's the thing. You know, you just can't be too indulgent. So my feeling, there are very few documentaries that really, I think that really have a dramatic arc and hold you that are over two hours long. So I think you're just kind of constrained by that. But, um, you know, it's a collaborative decision. It's not just me. It's my co-director, Kevin Lane, who's been with me since the captains. It's our editors, Joe and Luke. Luke joined us in For the Love of Spock. And uh, Joe has been with me since the captains' close-ups. So it's a team uh, decision. And then we do little test screenings, you know, like any other film would do. And if people are, you know, you take people's notes and you come to a final conclusion. If part of me feels that the DS9 doc would have made a great four-part, four-episode docu-series. Yeah. That could have really, you know, because part, I sometimes feel like, you know, because you had the writer's room thing and you had the kind of the diversity story and you, there was all, there was all sorts of stuff going on and then it all kind of got crammed into one doc. Is there, did you ever consider for the DS9 doc or for this doc to do it as a docu-series? I mean, in, you know, the History Channel just announced a 10-part docu-series on Star heard, Trek or yeah. something. Yeah. So why not a docu-series? And, and so you don't have to make these hard decisions to cut something out. Well, that's a possibility. You know, as we go on here and hopefully get more attention and networks notice us if we were approached i would certainly be open to something like that but look what we did with the captains i mean there are solutions we had so much incredible footage for the captains uh bill was able to convince epics to allow us to do the captains close-up uh which i can't stress enough if the fans haven't seen that i know a lot of people are are aware of the captains but the captains close-ups five 30-minute episodes so it's actually longer than the original, a uh, ninety minute, but it gave us the opportunity to do exactly what you're saying, Anthony. And I think they were incredibly well received. And we even did a sixth 
on Chris Plummer, Bill and Chris Plummer alone. So look at the, how much footage we got out of that one effort. And then now look what's happening with what we left behind. We're issuing another five hours. So the answer is, yeah, I would be open to anything. But my feeling is that we are selling right now. We're crowdfunding and we're promising a feature length film. So I think our mandate, uh, if we're to honor what we're promising the fans, would be to make a feature. And then we always have the opportunity of additional episodes or special features. Excellent. Um, there are rumors that you are maybe thinking about doing something for Enterprise after what? this and certainly seeing Connor <laughs> Trenier pop up here and there. So is that something you guys are planning next? Are you Look, thinking I'm about not going to lie. I, I'm a fan of, uh, uh, and especially Enterprise. I love Enterprise. So uh, the answer to that is, yeah, I, I can't. I can't deny it. If Voyager goes well, would I love to dive into Enterprise? Absolutely. And people, and one of the big reasons is because of people like uh, Connor and Dominic, who have gotten to know so well over the years. I really like them, and they're they want to tell their story, and I think it's a very interesting story. Actually, there's a lot of drama there. I was uh, going to say there's a lot of behind the scenes fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I, and I love Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula was great in the uh, the captains and the captains close up. So, yeah, the answer to the, and Anthony Montgomery, I've gotten to know over the years. So, yes, the answer is yes. Cool. After Enterprise, could could you imagine doing anything with the JJ movies or with the Kurtzman era, with Discovery and all that stuff? Well, I mean, the Kurtzman era, that boy, that's that's a big one. I mean, of course, I'd love to dive into that. I know some of those actors, and they're they're great. Um, I love personally, I'm a huge fan of the Abrams films and that cast. So I would love to do something about that. To be honest with you. Uh, and we have so much footage that's unseen. I'm hoping it sees the light of day. I mean, talk about footage. We interviewed Zach Quinto on the set for three hours, I think. And only a portion makes it into the film for the love of Spock. So I already have a lot of footage of those guys, that entire cast. Um, and I personally, I, I, I was friendly with Chris Pine, uh, all, the, all, all of them, Carl Urban, they're great. So yeah, that I wouldn't mind going there, Anthony. Yeah. I think people would love to see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we've got a week left of your crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. Um, you, you've passed the HD stretch goal of 900, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we're, geez, I Nine, haven't listened. 912,686. Wow. But who's counting? Wow. Yeah. So if you hit the million and you got the special super secret thing, um, you know, is that enough? Or are you going to keep, you know, are you going to, do you got another stretch goal beyond, beyond the super secret 1 million stretch <laughs> goal? Here's the thing. One thing about this money, and I, I am not complaining, but the fees that we have to pay Indiegogo and the fulfillment. Remember, now we've become uh, retailers, essentially. Or we're selling merchandise and we need to create it, manufacture it, ship it. So a very significant portion of that money just inevitably goes to the fulfillment. So the answer is yes, we want to keep going because the more we make, the more we put on the screen, the more we can license the more we can uh, travel and interview, 
the more creative things we can do uh, with the money. And you know, personally, I would like for the Voyager fans to have the the bragging rights to say we are the most successfully funded documentary in history. And we're not that far away from uh, being able to claim that. I think that would be a feather in, in Star Trek's cap. Um, can I just ask you on that first day when things opened up and the numbers yeah. started going up, like what did that feel like to you watching that just start to happen? Oh, it was beyond, I mean, Deep Space Nine, it took us, you got to remember with Deep Space Nine, everybody told me you'll never make it. I, I set a $150,000 initial goal for Deep Space Nine and we made it in 24 hours. Yeah. In Voyager, we did it in six. So <laughs> it was a pretty incredible day. I'll, I'll just say that. It's been an incredible couple of weeks. You know, we've all had a tough year. And uh, even my business, I mean, we this film shut down. I mean, Paramount closed for three months. The lot was closed the first time in my, my life existence uh, there. And uh, so we, we've been shut down for a year. And just to have this experience again, it's energizing all of us. So it's been it's been really awesome. Now people will be listening to the this podcast will come out a few days before we wrap up the mm-hmm. campaign, but this podcast will be available for months. So in in April, May, June, how will people be able to engage with the Voyager documentary and you guys and maybe even, you know, get their name down for a DVD or whatever? They'll still be able to contact us through the uh, Indiegogo page and through the VoyagerDocumentary.com, I think it is. But yeah, I think the the Voyager, the Indiegogo page is still, uh, will still be uh, available. So basically they go to the same place. So people will be able to reserve a copy, uh, a digital or a Blu-ray even after the campaign's over? Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I think... We found last time that we were able to at least keep some things open, not everything, but some things open because you don't want to close out people. I mean, as you pointed out, what about people that haven't heard about the campaign? So, yeah, some of it will be available uh, for sure. And then, you know, what we did with I don't know if you remember, but for Deep Space Nine, we were able to kind of launch a separate mini campaign for the HD when we decided we wanted to make the entire, yeah. So there's a possibility that we could do something like that down the road too. So it's really that Indiegogo page staying on there for updates. That becomes really your, your way to follow the Voyager documentary and all our social media and all that is great. Excellent. Well, um, uh, this has run longer than I thought it would. And, (laughs) but yet we could still keep on going, but this won't be the last time we talk. (laughs) And uh, so congratulations on how things are going and thank you. uh, Good luck on what comes next. Thank you for coming and talking to us about it. Oh, no problem. I was looking forward to this one and it just makes me happy that it's audio only. (laughs) (laughs) Same. So that was David. He told us a lot of good stuff. What did you find the most interesting or sort of the most significant thing that we learned in that interview, Tony? I would say the most significant thing was that, some of the things I've been worried about, he's definitely saying the right things, which is they're going to be honest. They're going to do warts. They're going to try to get Jennifer lean in. Um, they're certainly talking about that. The, you know, Bujold and, you know, all. So the controversies will be part of this. This won't be 
you know, all happy clappy. It'll be honest because the show has highs and lows and I, I like a good, honest documentary. Um, and, but the something new, which we speculated about, I think we kind of now know what it is. He, he didn't say it, but he said it without saying it because he talked about rights and you could talk to all of these actors all you want and you don't need to ask for permission, but you do need to ask for permission for any of those people to portray a character owned by someone else. And that's what I took away from that is they're going to do something that is with these characters set in the Star Trek universe. Right. I mean, look, you could do, there's some good options. You could do some kind of what happened after they got back update, which of course people are kind of hankering for. That was the one thing about the finale was that we didn't sort of get to see the follow up. So uh, after their arrival home, I mean, we got to see years later, but we didn't get to see that, you know, the arrival and their reconciling with their families and all of that. Um, And there's also, you know, Captain Proton keeps coming up. So that's another option. There are a lot of options. Yeah, everything that we're hearing about this doc makes me feel more and more excited about it. I feel I do get worried about the runtime because, you know, he talks about getting all this great footage and even me talking about, you know, the digital butt and all these. It's like, yeah, that might be interesting, you know, and, and Garrett scuba diving might be great footage, but stick to the stick to the plan stick to the 90 minutes don't bloat this thing right Um, so if david if you're listening be ruthless (laughs) that's that the whole point of of special features is for all that extra stuff my interview i did with nick meyer last week where he talked about your darlings and having to lose your darlings kill your darlings for every writer you just have to do it so if you're a filmmaker, it's the same thing. Although I like the fact that he's open to the idea of a documentary series. So it, if this thing gets sold, maybe it does end up longer, but it's turned into a docu-series, which I think would have worked better for DS9 doc. And you know, maybe there's a way to do that with this one, even though they're committed to making a film and they will stick to that. But if it evolved into a docu-series, I'm cool with that as well. I'd be thrilled. There's so much to go into yeah. with all of these shows. So that would I would be riveted, I'm sure. Yeah. So let's hope that he does go back to Paramount Plus and they are more amenable in the end once they have something. And I hope they do get Jennifer Lean somehow. I mean, I know things are, are dodgy with her, but... As you know, we talked about this, I think, in, with him, but she's such an important part of the beginning of that show. But it sounds like everyone else is going to be talking about it. And they've got Brandon on and Rick, which is great. And Jerry Taylor. Yes. Which is great. And and I assume they Rick is probably a bit more diplomatic about things, but I'm hoping that Jerry can be honest about it. And so even if Jennifer isn't there I think they'll cover that storyline and some other of these um, areas. And and by the way, I'm excited about what comes next. I think there's so much to talk about with Enterprise. Oh, my God. And yes. So if that is next, that show, I mean, the, if the chaos of the bridge, <laughs> the, the chaos that happened with UPN and that show over each season, it's just there's 
you know, and, and when it was canceled and then the whole thing of there was fans trying to bring it back. There's a whole bunch to go into about that show. That should be a miniseries documentary for sure. Okay, so let's wrap things up with our bits of the week. And why don't you kick us off? Well, speaking of Enterprise, good segue. So what I have discovered, even though these aren't new, is two podcasts with John Billings, the great John Billingsley, who was Flux on Enterprise, who's such an interesting man. But these, there's such a contrast in these two. So I was listening to both of them. It's so funny because he's a very outrageous person and a very serious person. <laughs> so there's one, there's a podcast called Hungry Trilobite, which is hosted by Aaron Bossig. I've actually been a guest on the podcast. Um, and he talks about creativity and fandom and gaming and sci-fi, all these different things. And so he had a very serious conversation. This was December of last year, um, where John Billingsley, first of all, he talks about the Hollywood Food Coalition, which he heads up with his wife and how he's doing that full time. He talks about politics. He talks about how he doesn't do a lot of acting right now because that sort of competitive nature and like recording yourself and sending it in, he just feels like he's not up to that anymore. He also, when he's talking about his own charity or, you know, his coalition, he also says, you know, you can donate to mine, but also you can start something in your neighborhood. And he talks about how to be how to find the way you want to volunteer. So we have this one thoughtful, serious interview with him that I enjoyed very much. And then that same week, he was on a podcast called I Quit Star Trek. So it's um, Olivia, who I've talked about before, who is a she's a lawyer or a law student finishing law school. She co-hosts with this guy, John. Their premise, it's a fun podcast when you're in the mood to poke fun at Star Trek. So if you're feeling protective and affectionate, not a good one to listen to. If you're having your moment where you want to make fun of it, it's great. They've had uh, Noah on, you know, Mary's husband, and they've had other guests. But so they had him on the same week, and they told him to choose an episode that he thought was bad. Um, and he picked Precious Cargo, which he's not in and doesn't really <laughs> remember. So it's very funny. But he is so outrageous and hilarious on this like he talks about Padma Lakshmi was the guest and he said you know she seems nice and I like her cooking shows but he says she clearly has a deep affection for her own breasts <laughs> <laughs> and he talks about he even mentions when they were filming Dear Doctor and he had all this voiceover in it he talks about how when he did a scene on the bridge they said can you say your voiceover the way that we're gonna hear it and he said okay but I'm gonna mess with the lines a little and then he's standing behind Scott Bakula and starts saying things like look at the captain's round and succulent bottom so <laughs> he's he's nuts in this episode like he's making fun of everything and ripping everything apart he's saying it's amazing our show survived given our cold opens that had nothing to do with anything like he's just he's very outrageous so if you want your fix of the many sides of john billingsley i'll put up links to both of these podcasts they're both worth listening to i will for sure what have you so got? So my thing is, I, I'm so, I'm strangely reliving my childhood, and um, through Star Trek audiobooks. So I have always read Star Trek books and read most of them in the you know 80s and 90s. Um, and I don't know I that I listened to the audiobooks back then, which were books on tape. Um, so recently I've been finding these audiobooks on Hoopla. And if you don't know what Hoopla is, 
it's a thing that most libraries around the country are part of and they offer movies and books ebooks and audiobooks for free and so check to see if your local library is part of the hoopla system and so I've, I've been going through all of these old Star Trek audiobooks, which are abridged versions of the actual books, and they're just they're just great. They, 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 even though, I mean, not always, but what's great about them is they're voiced during this period by James Doohan and George Takei, and Leonard Nimoy would do his own voice. It's kind of weird. So you'll, you'll hear... James doing, and then every once in a while, Spock come you know chimes in as Spock. So <laughs> um, Nimoy wouldn't do the whole book. I think he does one, um, but he it generally he's like a guest star as himself. Um, and it's just it's, it's it's just a great way to re-experience Star Trek. Um, they've and these books have you know the sound effects and music, but it's not the licensed music. So they have their they have their kind of own weird Star Trek like music. Um, and, uh, if you aren't familiar with this stuff, I mean, they're still doing Star Trek audiobooks, but now they're essentially unabridged straight recordings with no music, no sound effects, which is still fine. If you're a fan of audiobooks, I still listen to them, but these are a whole different thing. And they're kind of like little plays almost. I've listened to like six in the last month. So that they, they tend to be <laughs> one, one to two hours long. So they're very abridged. Um, because uh, a full audiobook often takes you know up to ten hours. So these are they're like listening to an episode of Star Trek, essentially. <laughs> that sounds and I just the joy of hearing Jonathan Frakes because he he does this book which is called Crossover, and the premise of this book is just crazy. Okay, so it's <laughs> it's um Spock has been kidnapped by the Romulans and. Scotty steals um, an old Constitution class ship, and Admiral McCoy takes command of the Enterprise D over from Captain Picard. Ooh. And you've got uh, Jonathan Frakes doing all of these voices. So you hear his version <laughs> of Picard, you hear his version of um, Scotty, his version of McCoy, and you know, there's some hits and misses in that list. Um, it's that but just it's just. To- that's now the top of my list for things to listen to. Oh yeah, so Star Trek: The Next Generation crossover audiobook <laughs> by Jonathan Frakes is a must-not miss situation for sure. Okay, so that's and it for this week. I was going oh. to say, wait, we need to add that to the list of topics that we cover when we finally get them on the podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Make a note. If- if he even remembers this, I mean, this is I a know. long time ago, but still, yeah. So, thank you again for listening to All Access Star Trek. Please like and subscribe and give us comments on the site. Let us know what you want to hear us do next. We've still got a lot of time between the first episode of New Star Trek coming out in 2021. So, what do you want us to talk about? Yeah. And we'll do it. Yes. Please come let us know. And tell us what you think and argue with us and and do your thing, people. Come back next Friday, because if it's Friday, it's all access Star Trek. (laughs) See you next week.